0: Next Sunday, we have a special contribution that is taking place for the new church plant. And I hope that you've been praying about that and that you're ready to give sacrificially. I hope you're ready to give joyfully uh, because the new church plant needs the blessing of some financial support. We have a a minimum goal for our church family of $10,000 for the rest of 2013. I think that we will reach that easily, but we have that goal anyway. I know that Peter and his Crew need a lot more than that. And so uh, please feel free to give sacrificially next week. That's, of course, beyond, above your regular contribution, but we pray that God has blessed you richly and that you're able to give. Also, you notice there is a pile of clothing out here along the wall. Mike's already mentioned something about that. We've had a bunch of ladies who came in and at least one man, because I saw Terry here, the other night, and they put together baby bundles which are going to be uh, taken to. To Victoria in the next couple of weeks, and then shipped over to Zambia on a container and as we 're going to see actually this morning, there are people who have need of such things and we 'll see that in just a few minutes, but thank you very much for those who sacrificed and came down and, and did something there that will be of great value to some people a long ways away from here. We wanted to mention that it 's in the bulletin, but uh, Micah Paneda was born in the last week or so, and we want to be thanking God the new baby has joined our miss. It could be that she will be with us, or he. I don't even know if it's a girl or a boy. Does it say in the bulletin? I think it's a her. Yeah, it's a girl. She's going to be uh, perhaps in the the second assembly. We'll have a chance to see her. And then I just wanted to mention uh, the clothing exchange, which is coming up on the 19th of October. So be ready for that. And then there are all kinds of questions about the time change for this service. And the answer is, I don't have a clue. Okay. We, uh we're going to see what we're going to do with that. Uh, there's discussion still going on about whether or not the time for this service is going to change. But until you hear otherwise, keep coming at 9 o'clock. That's the best way to say it. And perhaps uh, we'll announce something different. Perhaps we won't. But at any rate, please uh, keep coming at 9 o'clock until you hear otherwise. Let me read something for you. Kelly, I hope this book will help you as you study and develop your knowledge of God and that in him you will always seek your answers I know God has great plans for your service to him pray always love Robin this was the first commentary that I ever got the date in here says October 14 1977 which is my birthday. And Robin and I had started dating about three months before, two months before, really. A month and a half before. And she had given me this commentary. The reason she did is because I was preparing to preach my first sermon it was going to be on a Sunday night at the Newburgh Church of Christ, and I wanted to preach on Ephesians chapter 4, which was my, just about my favorite passage in the Bible. John 17 is probably my favorite chapter, but Ephesians 4 is maybe a close second or third. And she knew I was going to be preaching on Ephesians 4 because I was, had prepared her for the fact that I was going to be preaching, and she wanted to actually come to the, the sermon, which she did. I took from this commentary 14 pages of notes into the pulpit with me on Sunday evening, whatever that date was, in 1977. I preached for nine minutes. Nine minutes with 14 pages of notes. It was a wonderful occasion. The crowd loved it. It was nine minutes long. Well, that was my very first sermon. My second sermon did not go quite as well or as quickly. Immediately following the second sermon, which was also on a Sunday night, but it was this time back at my home congregation, that first sermon was at a church where I was going to while I was at university for the first couple of years, and wasn't very far from where Robin lived, so she came and heard me that night. The second sermon was on a Sunday night in my home church, where I'd gone back to for the summer. Immediately following the sermon, the second sermon I'd ever preached, the preacher got up right after I preached, and took to denouncing virtually everything that I had just said. I'm serious. He got up and and said, you know, he opened it with some nice comment like, Well, Kelly's a young man, and I'm grateful that he wants to share the word with us tonight. And from that, it was all downhill. And he talked about the things that he thought that I had said that were incorrect. One of the things that he said was that he felt as though... Contemporary evangelicalism was making a huge mistake by heading in the direction of calling people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason that he said that was because he was calling for, instead, obedience. And his model of God and his image of God was such that he wanted us to fear God more than anything else and wanted us to obey God more than anything else. And while I understand my brother's point, I understand what it was, I want you to listen to these words From Romans chapter 8. Turn to, if you would, Romans chapter 8. It's on page 800 in the Pew Bibles. And listen to these words, and you tell me whether or not you think that there is room for talking about relationship between ourselves and God. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because, he says, those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we're children, that we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so there is relational language in this passage. And Paul specifically says that we didn't receive a spirit that makes us slaves of fear, but a spirit of sonship. Called to something different. This is the language of relationality. We talk a lot about relationality here. We want, for example, in our life groups to be relational. When someone new comes into our church with that person, we want to be relational. This is relational language. And you can't talk about God, I don't think, without talking about what it means to have a relationship with God. Because we are indeed children of God. There's this word in verse 15, Abba. An Aramaic word. Sometimes preachers will say it means daddy. It's an endearing kind of term. I don't know if it exactly means daddy. But at least it means something more than just a remote relationship with someone who is intangible to us. There's a connection there. And it was in fact an endearing kind of term. Now what's beautiful is that in Mark 14.36. When Jesus is in the garden. He uses that precise word to refer to his father himself. Now think about this. Jesus is in the garden. He's about to die. And the relationship that he has with God is far closer than the relationship that you and I have with our earthly fathers. And Jesus, at that point, uses that word to talk about his father, to say to his father, Abba, Father, if you will, take this cup, let it pass from me. And then Paul, here in Romans 8 and in Galatians chapter 4, says that we have the right of calling God by that term. That is relational. And in fact, it's revolutionary. To speak of God this way, to to talk to God this way, is revolutionary. Now at the same time, I do kind of get where my friend was headed when he rebuked my sermon that night. I'm not really that bitter about it after all these years. Nearly 40, my goodness. Let it go, Kelly, let it go. (laughs) He had a point, and that is that God is, in some sense, distant from us. That he's different than we are. That he does expect from us obedience. And so I don't want to go completely away from that. I just want there to be some balance when it comes to talking about God as our father. Now, in order to kind of facilitate this discussion, I've asked Rochelle Bailey if she would come up. And so if you guys would turn this microphone on so that she can use the one here at the pulpit. I've asked Rochelle to come and just discuss for a moment to make some comparisons between what it means to have earthly parents, to be an earthly child, and what it means to be a heavenly child with a heavenly father. And I, I got to tell you, I talked to her yesterday afternoon, some of the things that she said to me, I was I was kind of taken aback by it at first. I thought, oh, that's not really where I was expecting this to go. Yeah. Oh, but I think she says some things that are important that we need to hear. Miss Bailey? <laughs>
1: Hi. Um. So yesterday we talked about how um, your relationship with your parents is almost not comparable, but similar to your relationship with God in heaven as your father. And I think um, a lot of the ways that it's similar is that when you are hurting or you are upset, you go to God and you go to your parents and you want comfort. And that's, that's one way. And another way is you just, you tell them when you're angry Or happy about something, and it's just nice to have someone to tell. And I know God's always listening, so (laughs) that's really nice. And I think that He's also very different because when you try to explain something to someone who's had very different experiences from you, like your parents, they might have had something else happen in their life, or you might have had something happen in your life that's very different. So I think he always understands, and I think that's very awesome (laughs) that we can talk to him about that and that he knows what's going on and how you feel. Um, I also feel like he is always there, whereas our parents are not always going to be there. And so, yeah.
0: Thank you very much, I appreciate that. That's great. The thing, the thing that I noticed, like I was expecting the first half of what she said about how there are similarities. I was kind of expecting that. And that's kind of where I was going here, that we all have parents, we're children. We know what it means to have children, so many of us, or to, at least to be a child. And we understand that relationship. And so when Paul says that we are sons of God through Christ Jesus, we can relate immediately to that. We get that. And there's something about that relationship that's expressed in this imagery of, of children and father. And it's a beautiful, beautiful image. And I think that Rochelle obviously sees that. And I think we would too. But then she said, when we were on the phone yesterday, she was telling me what she was going to say. She said, but I noticed some differences too. Like it's not exactly the same. She said, you know, my parents are human. And the fact is, sometimes they don't totally Understand me as a young person talking to them. Well, I get that. I understand that. But boy, God is not like that. God does, in fact, understand. And she's right when she says, Maybe my parents won't always be there. That's a very good possibility. Anybody out there have your parents ever let you down in any way? Some of us have. And so, God, how, yeah, all the parents are going, no, and all the kids are going, yeah. God, however, doesn't let us down. And he's called us into this special relationship where we have this privilege of being his children and being blessed in that way. So one thing that Paul says here is that we are his children. We have a God who is our Father. The Spirit of Sonship has placed us in that relationship. Here's something else he says. Paul describes our relationship with God as adoption. If you look down at verse 15 again, If you have an NIV, and some of the other Bibles might do this too, you'll notice that there is a G there, a bolded G as a footnote. And if you look down there, it says this could also be translated as adoption. And that's true. And so we don't have an automatic genetic kind of relationship with our Heavenly Father, but in fact are grafted in, Paul would say, especially as Gentiles. We are adopted by him into a special relationship with him. And it is a special relationship indeed. And the whole concept of of adoption is so beautiful. Now, what I have here, Trevor, are you ready? I've got a video that I want to show. I've actually showed this before. And so I'm just going to show a few moments here of the video that Robin and I shot in 1993 when we went to pick up Megan. And let me just kind of set the scene here. What's happening is that there is a, you'll see an elderly black woman sitting in the dirt. Which is Robin, uh, Robin which is megan 's grandmother, okay, and so she 's sitting in the dirt, and there are a couple of boys there. these are megan 's um, siblings, the one I think in a blue shirt is her closest sibling, and they actually ended up playing quite a bit together uh, there at the village so you 're going to see this this kind of scene of this woman sitting in the dirt, and then you 're going to the, the camera, which i 'm holding so it 's not very good video, but the, uh, the camera is going to go to the translator because this woman, Megan's grandmother, says some things to the translator, and then he translates back into the camera to me, okay? And I I hope you can hear what he says because this is uh, exactly the point that I want to make this morning. Okay, go ahead. That's Megan in the white.
1: The part of the first wedding of taking a payoff off the house and the has become confessional. Meaning, now, what you we ever to achieve with whoever is the law of your child that gives us who I now? She's is waiting for you. Here's one thing that i saying to me. I say yes. yes.
0: When well, you can tell her for us that we're very happy to have a in our family. And we're grateful that we were willing to let her come and be with us okay that 's good, thanks Trevor i I hope you could catch that, but if you didn 't, let me just tell you what he said the woman megan 's grandmother turns to him as they 're having this conversation and says and, and this is by the way, right after she has said who is who is megan 's mother and Robin was standing there and they have a little, little there 's a little scene where where the grandmother realizes who Robin is that she 's going to be the mother. I thought it was interesting that this grandmother was um, very interested in who was going to be the mother. That was fascinating to me. Um, anyway, so he, they have this conversation, and then he he turns to me and I said, "What was that all about, Thomas?" And he said, "Well, it's this way." He said, "When Megan was born, they didn't know what she was what they were going to do, because they didn't have any food to feed her. There was no way that they could take care of her, and so they decided that they were going to bury the child along with the mother." which is the decision that they had already made. That's what they were going to do with Meg. And then they heard about some people who would, in fact, take the child in. So then after they found out that they could, in fact, take the baby somewhere else, then they made a different decision, and she ended up going to uh, Kathy Kamalo at Namuyanga, which is actually the same place where these baby bundles are going. And, um, And then we were able to get Megan through that process. Well, also in the discussion, as he is discussing with her this reality, she says to him, because there is someone who is willing to take her in and be family for her, she has become a person. And that is incredible to me. That until she becomes part of a family, she's not a person. Which, if you think about it, makes it very easy to place something that's not a person in a casket or in the hole in the ground with the mother because she's not a person. And then with a family, when the child is adopted, all of that changes. And she becomes a person. A living, breathing person. Well, this text says that we have... If the Spirit of God doesn't lead you, if the Spirit of God isn't in your life, you are dead. Without the Spirit of God. But then when the Spirit of God comes in, the Spirit makes us alive. Because we now have a Father. We now have a place to be. And to be a person And so God has done, indeed, something special for us. Now, there are some responsibilities here. Because the text also says that it's those who are led by the Spirit of God who are sons of God. You have the chance to say to God, no. And you can say to the Spirit, no, not interested, don't want you to lead me. And there is a compromise in this relationship that one has with God at that that point. And what I'm trying to say is that if you refuse to let the Spirit lead you in your relationship with God, if there's not something special there that is going on, if the relationship isn't ongoing, then it's not at all what it's supposed to be. And we all have a choice to make about how we're going to let the Spirit live within us. Are we? Do we open our hearts to let God have his way to live within us and make us the people that he wants us to be? And then lastly, being filled by, adopted by, led by the Spirit. In this text means transformation away from the sinful nature and towards spiritual life, toward life in the Spirit. You know, there's some teaching in Christianity today that a person can't really change. That God doesn't really transform lives and make us different. But he does. The spirit comes in and makes us so very different. That is why he died. Not just so that we can be forgiven, but so that through the relationship that we have with him, we can be transformed, changed to become what he wants us to be. And there is some level of obedience in this parent-child relationship, just the way there is in a parent-child relationship today. And it's relationship indeed. But there is also responsibility there. Children are supposed to obey their parents. That's a good thing. And we obey God, even in the loving relationship that we have with Him. And so this morning, every person in the room, including this preacher, needs to search his or her heart and evaluate the status of their relationship with God. Is the Spirit working in your life transformation? Is there change taking place? Do you see change and progress? And if not, isn't it time that God works something in you to help you be different? My sense is, is that the key there is allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit of God. And in doing so, you will become a son of God and perhaps take on some of the characteristics of your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege of being your children. And we're thankful for the Spirit who comes into our lives and brings about transformation. We love and appreciate, God, what it is that you've done in adopting us as your children. We were a long ways away from you, and you brought us near. And you're transforming us, and for that we praise and thank you. Father, for every person here who needs to open their hearts and allow you to work transformation within us through the presence of your Spirit, do it. Open our hearts, God, even as we open them up to you. Change us. Make us ever more fully your children as your spirit leads and guides us. Through Christ we pray. Amen.